Father, I wanna ask you to please be at work among us this week. Father, the, the expression of love through your people is a demonstration of the truth of who Jesus is. You said that this world will know that we are your disciples by the great love that we have for others. And Lord, I pray that that would well up in us. Lay on our hearts, even now, those people you would call us to live generously toward, to invite in our homes or to take a meal to or to take cookies to or or to, to spend time with this week as an act of generous love. And God, would you allow that demonstration of gospel love to become a a declaration of gospel truth. Help us to be ready to share the message of Jesus Christ with anyone who might ask us for the reason we have to hope, to hope in this world. Lord, I pray that Christ would be on our lips. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we praise your name for all it is that we trust that you're going to do among us. And Lord, I ask that as we study your word, that you would speak so clearly to our hearts that it would be unmistakable today. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter one. 1 Peter chapter one. We've been going through the themes of Advent. Advent means coming, which is the celebration of Christ's coming to this earth Uh, there as a baby in Bethlehem and it's an anticipation that Christ is coming again and we see that the themes, traditional themes of Advent are a celebration of why it is that Jesus came. He came to bring us joy. He came to give us peace. He came to bring us hope. He came to demonstrate his love and so this morning we're gonna talk about hope and I was thinking about this Christmas carol. I love Christmas carols. One of my favorites is Oh Holy Night. I just love that song and there's a line that's just been going around in my head for the last couple of weeks from Oh Holy Night. It's a thrill of hope. You guys know that? The thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And I've been thinking about that because I've been praying that over you. I've been praying for your life. Uh, Not all of you by name, some of you by name, but not all of you by name. I've been praying that everyone that leaves this place today would leave experiencing the thrill of hope because Jesus came to bring you hope. He came so that you would live with a deep and unshakable hope. And so this morning I'm praying that your life would be filled with hope. But we use the word hope a couple of different ways. Sometimes we use it um, in in one way. Let me give you an example from childhood. When I was a little kid, we would get the Sears Christmas wish book. Anybody remember the wish book? Kids before the internet stores would publish things on paper. And it would be a list of all that they sold as a store. It was called a wish book. And it's kids, me and my four brothers, we would go through the wish book, and some of you may remember doing this. We'd look at every single page, and we would circle the things we'd like to have, right? Like, I would always circle the remote control car, that, that robot that would, like, be a butler for you. That was always a big one. I don't know if you guys ever saw that back in the 80s. Big deal. Sure didn't work. I also always circled the replica Cleveland Browns gear. Yeah, yeah, because I'm that guy. Uh, love the Browns. It was a hard life for me still is. Anyhow, if you asked me, hey, are you going to get your Christmas wish? Here's what I knew. I knew I usually asked for a lot of expensive things, and we didn't have much money growing up. We barely had enough income to provide for for our family's needs. And and so if someone said, hey, are you going to get what you wished for? I would answer like this. I hope so. Right? I hope so. But in that way of using the word hope, I was saying, I hope so, but I don't think so. (laughs) 
right? I hope so, but it's probably not going to happen. That way of using the word hope is more like wishful thinking. I think we're all really familiar with that. Like, are the the Cleveland Browns going to win a game this year? I hope so, but come on, let's be honest. I really don't think so. I hope so. Here's what you need to know. Jesus did not come to bring you wishful thinking hope. When the Bible refers to hope, it's not referring to wishful thinking. It's something way deeper than that. Let me use another illustration. I had an aunt who never married, never had children. And so, so she would ask lists from us. And what we would do is we would put maybe one or two items at the most on that list that we gave our aunt. And here's what our aunt would do. She would see to it that we got that one thing. All right, so if you ask me, hey, are you gonna get what your, your aunt, the list you gave to your aunt? Here's what I would say. I'm sure of it. And here's the deal. If you said why, I'd say, she's my hope. She's my hope at Christmas to get what I want because of who she is and because of what she's always done. That type of hope, she is my hope. I'm confident in what she'll do. That's the kind of hope the Bible's talking about. That's the kind of hope that Jesus came to bring us. A hope that's a confident expectation. So seal that into your minds for just a moment. That's what we're gonna talk about. How it is that you can live with confident expectation for your future good. Okay, that's hope, confident expectation for your future good that's based in a concrete truth or a current reality in which we live. And that's what we'll see in this passage of scripture. So 1 Peter chapter one, I better get there so that I can read it with you. Uh, 1 Peter chapter one, and we're gonna look at verses three through five. Verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last This is the word of God for us this morning. And this is the hope that Jesus came to give to us. There are basically two things in this passage of scripture that every single one of you should live with a confident expectation that these good things are going to come to you because of Jesus. And we'll get there in just a second. But what I wanna look at first is how it is that we enter into a place of confident expectation. How is it that we enter into hope? How do we have any claim of confidence that good is coming to our future? Well, that's there in verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this phrase, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We'll take that one phrase at a time, but here's how it is that you can live with a hope, an unshakable confidence, an expectation for your good in your future. It's by giving your life to Jesus. More than that, it's by receiving Jesus's life for you. It's it's there in that phrase, being born again. How do we have hope? We're born again. Now, I know a lot of you guys are familiar with that phrase, born again. I just don't want to take 
take for granted that all of you know what that means. The Bible says that we are all born dead in our trespasses and sin. All of us are born into disobedience and rebellion and sin against God. And that rebellion has separated us from God himself. It's separated us from the life that only God can give. So the life that's full of satisfaction and hope and joy and peace and eternal meaning. We're separated from God and that life that he grants because our sin separates us from God. But God is great in mercy. So that's what this says. According to his great mercy, God is great in mercy. And here's what in mercy God has done. Mercy means to not get what we do deserve. We deserve to spend eternity separated from God and his great life and love and joy and peace and hope. But God is merciful and that he does not give us what we deserve. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live a life that was perfectly obedient and pleasing to God the Father. He died the death that you and I should have rightfully died. He took what you deserved, which was a death as the punishment for your sin and your rebellion. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Bible says God placed our sin on him and he punished our sin in Jesus. And so our sin is dealt with by the work of Jesus Christ. And our standing before God is radically changed when we come to depend depend on the work of Jesus to make us right with God and not depend on ourselves. When we depend on God being merciful, when you say, hey, what makes you right with God? What gives you any confidence that heaven is your home or that eternity is filled with joy? And you say, it's because I've done great things. You are hopeless and don't even know it. When you say it's because I've, I've been a part of a church, I've read my Bible, or I've got this list of the stuff that I've done, here's what you need to know. You're hopeless and don't even know it. Our hope for eternal good is found in this. God is merciful to sinners when they trust in Jesus to save them from their sin. He's merciful. And because our standing before God is based on his mercy, our hope is found in who Jesus is on our behalf. I'm filled with hope because Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my salvation. Jesus is my rescuer. And so my standing is is based on who Jesus is, not on who I am, not on how I feel. And I just want you to think about that. You're standing before God, your new life, your life filled with hope, your life filled with a good future. It comes on the basis of who Jesus is as you're trusting in him. Just think about that for a moment. Here's what it means. It means that your standing before God isn't based on how good you feel at any given moment. It's not based on how good you've been any given moment. It's not based on how you feel in your own righteousness or how you feel on what you've done or whether or not you're in a really, really good mood. Your standing before God isn't based on those things because it's based on the mercy of Jesus to sinful, broken people like you. And here's the deal. I desperately needed to hear that this morning. Desperately needed to hear that this morning.
This is what I told you. This has kind of been one of those weeks. All of my family at one point in time had the flu. Uh, then in the middle of the week, Emily had to, she, she, she got to come to the church uh, building that, that, that Wednesday night and was part of some rehearsal. She, she was coming on her way home and called me up um, and her brakes went out in her van, like literally put them all the way to the floor and you never know when the thing was going to stop. So she limps home like, like five miles per hour with the hazard lights on down Tropical Trail because uh, I'm a good husband and I let her do things like that apparently. Apparently, um, she gets home. Thursday, she had an appointment, so I had to let her use my car. Well, she calls me up from Cocoa Beach because the car won't start. So her car's out, my car's out. It's one of those beautiful, wonderful weeks where we got the kids with the flu, the cars are all out. It's great. Everything is good. God's been really amazing in his grace toward us. But it was one of those weeks, you guys have them too, where it just stretches you every time you turn around. My, my pattern or my rhythm was totally off. The time that I normally would spend in the word of God and in prayer and in meditation, it was all off kilter. I was trying to wear a couple of different hats. I was trying to help out the way that Emily does around the house. And listen, that never, ever, ever goes well. All right? I cannot, I am not a good substitute for her. You guys know that. I know that too. So here's how I woke up this morning. About three o'clock this morning, I woke up just to pray and, and get before the Father and sort of purify my heart and mind around the truth. And, and I, I was meditating on this passage of scripture and prayer this morning. About four o'clock this morning, I heard the Spirit of God as I was thinking about God's mercy, that my standing before God's not based on whether or not I've had a good week. It's based on God being merciful. It's based on Jesus being a enough for me. And it was like the spirit said, son, this is true for you too. Your standing does not, it does not depend on the kind of week you've had. It doesn't depend on whether or not you felt strong or not. It doesn't depend on whether or not you feel like you've had a a red letter day. It doesn't depend on that. Your standing depends on me, me being merciful to give you life through Jesus Christ. And listen, the basis of our hope, the basis of our hope is not based on the circumstances of our world, our life, our job, our health. It's based on the fact that God is merciful to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus to save them. And you might ask, hey, what evidence do we have that God is merciful. So God claims to show mercy to people. What evidence do we have? Well, look back up there at verse three. I want you to see this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to, that's new life given to us by his mercy to a living hope. And look at this, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The truth is that God's merciful and the current reality for us that we need to realize is God has displayed his power to keep all of his promises when Jesus Christ rose again again from the dead. So here's our confidence that God's claims for mercy are true. Jesus is alive and it's the display that he has enough power to do everything he's ever claimed to do. Do you realize that our hope at Christmas is not just that Jesus was found laying in a manger in Bethlehem. It's that he was not found laying in a tomb in Jerusalem. Jesus is alive today. He's alive today. 
And our hope is in a person and that person is alive and that person's name is Jesus and his resurrection is the display. I have the power to do whatever I want to do against death, hell, sin, the grave, your brokenness and rebellion. I can do what I want to do and I want to show you mercy. And the resurrection... The resurrection of Jesus is the display of God's faithfulness to keep his promise and his power to do whatever he desires to do. And verse three tells us he desires to show you mercy. So your confident expectation rests in this. God has a perfect record of faithfulness in keeping his promise as displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is now your hope because he's alive and he's stronger than anything you'd ever face. And he has chosen in his strength and power and victorious life to show you mercy even though you're broken and sinful and rebellion. That's your hope. That's your confidence. Not your good record. Not feeling good. Not waking up on the right side of the bed. Though I hope all those things happen for you. That's not your reason for hope. Your reason for hope is a real and resurrected Jesus who is alive and well and chooses to show you mercy in your sin. That's the good word. Now, I told you there are two things in this passage of scripture that you should be confident in for your future. Okay, because of the hope we have of Christ's mercy to us displayed in his power through the resurrection, I just wanna show you two things you should live with confidence in for your future in this passage of scripture. The first one is this. Through his mercy, through his mercy, Jesus has given you an inheritance. Look at verse four. It says, to an inheritance, you've been born again to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You have an inheritance. Now listen, think about this. Imagine with me really quickly. Imagine that the attorney for Ingvar Komprad gave you a call today and let you know that at 89 years old, Ingvar Komprad had heard about your story And he had chosen to write you into his will and give you everything that's his. And he hasn't died yet. Ingvar's still very much alive. I know you guys know that. Ingvar's still alive. But imagine that Ingvar died. And here's what that meant. That attorney's calling you to let you know you have been given. You now have. You own everything that was Ingvar's. Isn't that exciting? You don't even know who Ingvar is, do you? Okay, so Ingvar Komprad, I, I, should have, I should have said this before. Ingvar Komprad is the 10th wealthiest man in the world. Um, I had to go to number 10 to find a name you wouldn't know. <laughs> Ingvar, and to find someone old enough that he might die in our lifetime. So uh, Ingvar is worth $39 billion. Now imagine you're inheriting Ingvar's fortune, Right? Imagine what you can do with 39 B as in boy billion dollars. All right, to, think, to take some of the, th- the thought out of it for you, I did some quick calculations. After your faithful gift to our church of nearly $4 mil- billion, and I thank you, praise God for that, uh, uh, th- that would leave you with over $35 billion to spend. And after you buy a million dollar house, a million dollar yacht, five Porsches, three Mercedes, two Ford F-150s, and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) 
and a cruise for your friends and you, and then you go on a $70,000 shopping spree for clothes, electronics, all kinds of fun little items, that still would leave you $34 billion, 997 million to put in the bank. Merry Christmas, one and all. Just imagine getting that kind of inheritance just for your financial future. Just your financial future. Can you imagine how confident you would be about your financial future if that was what was given to you? Now listen to me. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you are getting more than that. You really are. You, 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 you get what verse four describes as an inheritance that's imperishable. That means that it never gets old. It never goes bad. It won't break down like your car or your body. It's undefiled. That means it's absolutely perfect in every way. Even the greatest experiences like a luxury cruise are not perfect on this earth. You always have something going wrong on this planet and the inheritance we have is undefiled. It's perfect in every way. It's unfading, verse four says. That means it never needs to be maintained. It's not like a million dollar home. It doesn't have maintenance and upkeep. It is absolutely unfading. Your inheritance in Jesus is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You hear that? Let me, let me just describe our inheritance a little bit. The book of Revelation says that the city of God has streets that are paved with gold, foundations of precious stones, that the gates are made of pearl, that the very throne of God has a river flowing out of it, and that river is filled with the essence of life that comes from God himself. Our inheritance literally includes the greatest wealth of heaven and earth. Million dollar homes and million dollar boats and cars are are garbage compared to what Jesus has given to us. They really are. Our inheritance is filled with pleasure and satisfaction that you can't imagine. Six, Psalm 1611 says that at God's right hand, in his presence, there is pleasure forevermore. At his right hand, there is the fullness of joy. Our inheritance includes the satisfaction and pleasure and joy that every small fleeting shadow of pleasure and joy is just a fading mirage in comparison with. Lasting, unfading joy. It's a satisfaction that never gets old. Most, you guys remember, let me just put it this way. Do you guys remember when you were kids at Christmas, and I'm doing a lot of Christmas gift stuff here, but uh, do you remember the anticipation the day before Christmas? Remember that feeling? Waking up, just, just anticipating, what's it gonna be like? What's in that stocking? What's coming? What's coming? And then Christmas Day would come and just that exhilaration, we opened ours on Christmas Day, just that exhilaration. You guys remember the day after Christmas? It was still fun, still fun and exciting. You guys remember six months after Christmas? Like, what happened to all those toys? Where, where are they? They've gone. By, by, by six months after Christmas, we're turning into Christmas in July, looking forward to next year's gifts, right? They just, they don't, they don't last. They don't fade. They, or they fade away. And here's the deal. The inheritance that we have in Christ will never be gotten over. 
It will never grow old. It will never lose the fullness of joy because our inheritance includes God himself. He gives himself to us to enjoy forevermore. Our inheritance is filled with a new ability. Think about this one. We have a new ability to enjoy things. When we come into the presence of almighty God, we will be given brand new bodies. Can I get a witness on that one? Yeah, that's a good one. Not just younger, stronger bodies but new kinds of bodies, bodies that can actually enjoy what we should enjoy the way we should enjoy it without distraction, without weakness, without smallness. God has prepared that for you. We could go on and on and on, but here's the deal. You have an inheritance that's guaranteed by God. It says it's kept and reserved in heaven for you. All that is God's is coming to you It's coming to you, and it's guaranteed by Jesus. You have an inheritance. The other thing you can confidently expect, not just for heaven, but for this earth, is found in verse five. Look at verse five. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You have an inheritance, you have an inheritance, and you are being guarded by the power of Almighty God. Did you hear that? That word guard is a military term and it means to surround a city basically, to protect, to keep, and to secure something with all the power that it has. It was used to describe how a king would protect his kingdom. He would use all the power at his disposal to protect what is his. This verse is saying you are his. God, by his power, is choosing to protect you, to guard you, to keep you in his hand and in his presence. Just think about the power of God for just a moment. Think about the power of God that made the sun, moon, and the stars, that formed the sun that's at the very center of our solar system. I looked up a couple things about the sun. Our sun is large enough to hold one million Earths. The sun alone gives off more energy every second than one billion major cities would produce in one year. Yet our entire galaxy is 20 billion times more luminous than the sun. And it's estimated that there are at least as many galaxies as there are stars in the Milky Way, which there are estimated 100 billion stars in the Milky Way and 100 billion galaxies like the Milky Way. Just consider that kind of energy and that mass that fills a volume of space that we can't even imagine. And here's what you need to know. It was the power of God that made all of that. It was the power of God that sustains all of that. And that power, that unlimited, unfathomable power of God is guarding your life right now. If you wonder if this thing is for sure, you feel weak, you feel flawed, you feel broken. And I get that because you are broken, you are flawed, you are weak, and you wonder, is this thing in doubt or not? Here's what you need to know. Your salvation, you as a child of God, are not protected by your power, by your strength, by your goodness. God in his sovereign, unlimited power is guarding you as his possession. Here's what that means. He's stronger than anything you may ever face. And in the midst of no matter what this world brings to you, you will never be lost. You will be kept 
it says, for this eternal eternal inheritance that is yours in Jesus Christ. We could go on and on about this, but here's what I I just want to get to. What should our response be? So we have hope, we have confident expectation for the good in our future, and the good that we have in our future is an eternal inheritance we can't even fathom, and, and that we are being kept for that salvation by the very power of God that gives us hope because it's based in his mercy and not our goodness. What should our response be? Well, look back at the beginning of verse three. And I'll just do, I had a couple of things. I'm just gonna do one here really quickly. The beginning of verse three says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word blessed means praise. When it's used as a verb, it means praise Sing praise, say praise, share praise. This is a command for us to praise God. If you have hope in Jesus Christ, what are we called to do? What's the practical application of this? Here's the practical application. Praise God for Jesus this Christmas. As you encounter the, the shifting nature of the world in which we live in and the dead lock promises of God that are our confident expectation in Jesus, let your heart be filled with praise. Let it overflow with praise. Be the kind of person who lives with absolute confidence in the work of Jesus Christ. And when people ask you for a reason, like chapter three says, a reason for the hope that's in you, be ready to tell them my hope is a person and his name's Jesus and I don't have confidence because I'm good or because Washington isn't corrupt. What? I have confidence for my future good because God is merciful and Jesus is alive and he has promised in his great power to give me an inheritance that heaven and earth can't take away because God is inclined to give it to me and I'm being kept forever by the power of God and anything I face has to be filtered by the sovereign power of a God who loves me and is merciful to me. I praise God, I praise God. That's the response today, praise God, praise God. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna praise God. We're gonna praise God. We're gonna sing a song of praise to our great God who's provided confidence that we can expect the good things he's promised for our future. I just want, as as Richard's coming up to lead us in this song of praise, I want you to bow your heads for just a moment and and enter into a moment of, of just prayer and response. First, are you trusting in Jesus to make you right with God? There's no other confidence that that you could have spiritual life and that you could be right with God outside of Jesus. Some of you may need to call on Christ to save you today. In a moment before we leave, our pastors will be down front. We'd love to pray with you about your relationship with Christ, but you don't need to wait for a pastor to call on Jesus right where you're at. I wanna encourage you, if you sense your brokenness, you sense your separation from the life of God, Do you acknowledge that Jesus died to save you? That he rose again to show his power over your sin? Would you call on Christ to save you? Some of you came into this building hopeless, even though you would say, I was trusting in Christ. Because you weren't considering that God is so merciful to us in Christ that he has secured an eternal inheritance and that you are being guarded by the power of God. That even the pain of your life is filtered through the sovereign power of God and will be turned for his glory and your good. Would you just confess, would you confess 
your need of Jesus to show you mercy? And would you praise his name for giving you himself and his inheritance? Would you ask God to fill you with hope, with confidence that whatever feels shaken in your life, whatever feels unstable, would be laid aside and you would claim by faith the truth that Jesus Christ has been united to your spirit through faith, that his life and his righteousness are now yours and his eternal riches are guaranteed for you. God, would you please stir our hearts to praise you. I pray that this Christmas we would be reminded of how richly you have blessed us in Christ. The fact that Jesus came is a demonstration, is a demonstration that you love us and you want good for those who call on you, who will trust in you. And you were willing to give your own son to secure our eternal good and your eternal glory. So Lord, may we praise you for that in these moments. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.